Now, I'm not sure if it's a boy thing, but I find occasionally I have a piece of clothing that I just love, uh, that I just wear and I wear and I wear. I have these problems with pants particularly that get rips in them and often rips in places that are a bit... They're not very good to have rips. You've got to, either you've got to patch them or you've got to throw them out. Um, I don't have a wife yet, so she doesn't throw them out. So um, <coughs> I remember growing up, I had this one pair of pants that I just loved. They were a pair of cargo pants. But one day, eventually, they got a rip in them. And I was left with a choice. What am I going to do? I love these pants. So I sat down and I started to get the needle and thread out and taught myself how to stitch. And I sewed up my pants, put a patch on them. Problem is, as soon as I put one patch on, they started to fall out apart somewhere else. I love these pants, so I started again, patching up my pants. And uh, and that's the this is the kind of the issue that God is kind of facing at the beginning of chapter twelve. He's faced with a world which is falling apart at the seams. And the question is, what is God going to do with this world? Is he going to just throw it out like an old pair of pants that has run its course? Or has he got a plan to fix this world? Um, The first part of Genesis we covered last year, Luke took us through Genesis chapter 1 to 11. So let me just give you a bit of a summary of kind of where we're up to in the story. You see, God has created a beautiful world. It's a world where he has blessed his people that he's put in this world. And his creation, though, as I was saying, it starts to kind of unravel at the seams. God declares his judgment on sin, and then he starts his work of mercy to patch up the mess that we have made for ourselves. God begins afresh after the flood, to bless the world, but again, his work is frustrated by our rebellion at Babel, just in chapter 11, just before our passage. So how is God going to respond? How is he going to fix this world of rebellion so as to bring blessing to our world? And I like the way that Luke put it in the Bible study this week. Can humanity be repaired? Or I'll be beyond the pale. Should, or should God just start again? Does God have a plan or even care? And the beautiful answer in Genesis chapter 12 is that God does care. And God does have a plan to repair humanity. Despite the terrible state that we've gotten ourselves into, God has not given up on us. He desires to bless the world. And he has a plan of how to do that. And his plan comes down to this one man, Abram, that we read about in Genesis chapter 12. It's on page 10, or I think it's 11, in your pew Bibles. So how is it that God is going to pull this off, this kind of rescue plan for the world? Well, the God who spoke the world into being, is now speaking a new word of hope to our broken world. He speaks a word of command and a word of promise. But 
These words are related, as we'll see. So let's first have a look at his command. In verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Pretty simple. Leave and go. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household. God is saying to Abram, leave the things that give you a sense of security in this world. Don't trust in them, but trust in me and my promises for you. Go to the land that I will show you. It might sound simple, but I imagine it was hard to do. But then God speaks a word of promise about this land. He says that this land is going to be a place of blessing. In verse 2, he says, I will make you, Abram, into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, someone once taught me to remember God's promises to Abraham under three headings. Land, offspring, and blessings. Or lob. Okay, lob. It's an easy way to remember. Land, offspring, blessings. So I was just going to kind of look at each of those promises to us and try to unpack them a little bit. So the firstly is the promise of land. In verse 1, God says to Abram, Go to the land I will show you. And then, once Abram kind of gets there and looks around the land, God says to him in verse 7, To your offspring, I will give this land. So God is promising to Abraham that his kids are going to take possession of this promised land, not Abraham himself. You see, and when Abraham gets to the land, he kind of travels around. He he takes a good look around this land that God has promised him. And we hear about all these different places that he goes. We, We hear of Shechem and Bethel and Ai and the Negev. I have no idea where these places are, do you? But as you read through the rest of the Bible, you realize that actually these are the same places that the, his kids actually go and possess under Joshua as they go in and take possession of the land. So Abraham's kind of, kind of looking around the place before taking ownership of it. I was thinking it's, it's probably like when you buy a house. When you uh, settle on a house and you, you say, okay, this is the amount we're going to pay, pay you and you sign the contract... You don't actually kind of own it yet. You can't move in straight away. But sometimes you get to go and have a look at the place and walk around the rooms and you can kind of think, okay, we'll put the bed here and and we'll put the TV there and we'll put the kids over there. You kind of, you can see into the future in this place, although you don't yet own it. And that's kind of like Abraham was walking through this land that God had promised him. And he was looking into the future of when his kids would finally move in. So that's land. God promised Abraham that he would give him this land. He also promised him offspring. The promise of land 
it actually mentions that God will give this land to Abram's offspring, his kids. And so, actually, if, if this is going to come off, if God is going to give him this land, Abram's going to have to have a lot of kids, not just a few kids, to take possession of this whole land. And in verse 2, God promises, I will make you into a great nation. So God is promising to Abram that a large nation will come from him, a people beyond counting, like sand on the seashore or stars in the sky. Imagine it, abundant, superabundant kids. Okay, I've talked about big families. This is a huge family. A nation will come from this man. Thirdly, God promises him blessing. And he promises it in two parts. The first part, firstly, he, God promises that he's going to bless Abram. God says it straight out in verse 2. I will bless you. God will bring good things to this man, God is saying. God will give him life and material prosperity and kids and land and in place of the things that he will leave behind in Haran. God will protect him from harm. God says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. Now, I was helped in Bible study this week, Elijah pointed this out, that this is a way of God protecting Abraham. It kind of reminded me of the way that God protected Cain by putting a mark on him to warn people not to harm him. So God promises to bless him outright, promises to, to protect him. And God also promises to make Abram famous. I will make your name great. People are going to be talking about this guy for years to come, God says. And it's happened, hasn't it? We're talking about him today. And this is all part of God's blessing, Abram. But I'm still left with a question. I wonder if you've got that question in your mind. How is Abram being promised blessing and heaps of kids and his kids are going to take possession of the land? How is all of that going to fix the problem with the world? How is it going to help us? And that's where the promise of God's blessing the world comes in. You see, God is going to bless the world through Abram. After God has blessed him, he will in turn be a blessing to others. Have a look with me in verse 3. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, in Genesis chapter 1 to 11... God has had the kind of the camera on the wide lens. He's taking in the picture of the whole wide world. In Genesis chapter 12, God kind of narrows the focus down to one man and the nation that will come through him. And that narrow focus actually continues all the way through the Old Testament into the New. But that narrow focus is for the world. God's concern through this whole story of Israel is really for the world, that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through Abraham and his kids. So how will this work? How is this blessing going to come to the world through Abram? Well, we get a bit of an insight as we read on in Genesis when Jacob pronounces blessings on his 12 boys. And that's in 
um, Genesis chapter 49. You might want to turn there. It's on page 52. You might turn there so you make sure I'm not making this up. So Jacob, it's near the end of his life. He's, had, he's got 12 boys, okay? So this family's starting to kind of grow. This is a big family. Starting to take off. And each of his 12 boys are going to be the, actually the leaders of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And when Jacob gets to his boy Judah, he says this in chapter 49, verse 10. He says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations are his. You see, Jacob is looking forward to a time when a king of Judah will rule and bless all the nations with his rule. He goes on to describe this king, this this Christ, who will bring blessings to the nations in verse 11, that he will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Now, we have a great perspective on this because we can look back in history and see how this the story turns out. And as we look back, we can see how the story played out, that all peoples on earth were to be blessed through Abram's descendant, Jesus, our Lord. When he poured out his blood for all peoples of every race and tongue, from every nation and tribe, now anyone, Jew or Gentile, who trust in Jesus' death for them, will be blessed with forgiveness. This is the way that God had in mind to fix the world of sin and rebellion. That's why he didn't scrap the world and start over again, because he was going to redeem the world in his Son, our Lord. This is a remarkable thing, brothers and sisters, that at the heart of our world is a God who won't give up on us. A God who desires to bless us. A God who won't leave us in our despair and our sin, but who has worked and is still at work today to bless us. Despite appearances of our world, God is redeeming the world back to himself. And he started it all by making promises. So how did Abram respond to God's word of command and promise? Well, we've just had it read. He simply takes God at his word and he does what God commands. God says, leave and go. And what does he do? He leaves and he goes. No debating, no arguing, no kind of haggling over terms. He just leaves and he goes. And there's a beautiful correspondence in God's words of promise and command and God's and Abram's response. Abram simply trusts that God's promises are more secure than everything that he is leaving behind. Now I have a question. You can put your hands up. Who here would be around 70 years, 75 years of old, age or older? There's a a few of us, okay? Around that 75. That's how old Abram is when God calls him to do this. 
Could you imagine doing what God asked Abram to do? Could you put your confidence in God and his promises rather than in the security of what you now have, what you now know, and the kind of things that you've got used to? Imagine what it would have been like for him at 75 to be asked to do this. Could you trust that God is far more secure than everything you currently know and have? In one sense, I am very happy that God isn't asking me to do exactly what Abraham was called to do. You know, God's not calling me to go to Canaan. He's not calling you to go to Canaan either. But there are times when God does call us to trust that his promises are more secure than the things that we need to leave behind to trust him. I find it is a beautiful thing to leave behind all the things that I think make me secure and find that I am perfectly secure in God's care. That's the life of faith. The life of trusting God. That actually he is way more secure than anything that we could leave behind to trust him. That's the life of faith that we're all called to. And in one sense, we are in a much easier place to trust God than Abraham was. Because we've seen how the story's played out. We've seen that God has been so faithful to his promises down through the pages of the Bible. But imagine how Abram would have felt as he heard these promises. I can imagine that God's promises seemed a bit kind of maybe unrealistic at the time. Have a think about it. God promises Abram a land, but the land is already occupied by Canaanites. He rocks up and there's people living in his place. You kind of think, oh, okay, how's God going to do that? Secondly, God promises him so many kids that he's going to become a great nation. But his wife is barren and he's 75 years old. He's not in his prime to raise children. He's scratching his How is God going to do this? Thirdly, God promises to bless him in this new land. But as soon as he shows up and has a look around, there's a severe famine in the land. You see, sometimes God's promises can seem a bit far-fetched, really. Sometimes they seem rather impossible, even for God to keep. So I can sympathise with Abram as he's kind of in the next little story that we're going to kind of unpack, as he schemes how he's going to try to get himself out of this mess, even while I am kind of cringing inside because of the potential for disaster, as Abraham trusts himself rather than trusting in the promises of God. Let me tell you the story of the rest of chapter 12. We didn't have it read for us, but let me try to sketch out the story for us. You see, there is a severe famine in Canaan and Abram takes his family down to Egypt to escape the famine. But he's afraid of the Egyptians. He's afraid of what they're going to do to him. So he comes up with a scheme to try to keep himself safe. He says to his wife, don't say that you're my wife. Say that you're my sister. It's kind of half true because of family stuff if you look into it. 
that basically he's, he's lying in saying that this woman is not his wife. And Sarah goes along with it. And they go, they rock up to Egypt, and everyone looks at Sarah and goes, wow, this woman is a good-looking woman. 65 years old this woman is, but she is a good-looking woman. And so Pharaoh hears about it and takes her to be in his palace, to be his wife. And at this point, I am kind of on the edge thinking everything is about to fall apart. What are you doing, Abram? Why are you doing this? Why are you putting Sarah in this place of danger? Why aren't you trusting that God will protect you like he's promised? But at the very point where I think everything's going to fall apart, Abram's blessed. You see it in the story. Abraham gets given all these things. He gets given blessings of livestock and silver and gold. Man, this guy is living a blessed life. At first, I'm thinking that maybe, you know, maybe a bit of self-reliance isn't such a bad thing. But then the real reason behind Abram's blessing comes to the surface in verse 17. Chapter 12, verse 17. Have a look with me. It's the turning point of the story. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Ah, there it is. It was the Lord who was doing this. You see, God said in verse 2, I will bless you, Abram. And in verse 16, Abram acquires sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants and camels. Chapter 13, verse 2 summarises that Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. In short, God is keeping his promise to bless Abram. God said in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And in verse 17, we realise that God is cursing Pharaoh for taking the wife of Abram into his palace. God is keeping his promise to protect Abram. Even despite Abram's stupid attempts at protecting himself, God protects him. But that is just like our God. He will be faithful to his promise to bless even when we are unfaithful at times. He will not let our unfaithfulness get in the way of his concern to bless. He will use the barren and empty to bring life and hope. He will take what looks impossible and make it a reality. He will take what is cursed and he will bless. That is the God that we have come to know and follow in Jesus Christ. One who blesses us along with Abram. The God who hasn't given up on us, us ratty, tatty, broken and flawed human beings. The God who delights to bless us. Who works to redeem us and draw us into the blessing of knowing him and his love. Let me leave you with this last thought. When God said to Abram, I will bless you, he also said, and you will be a blessing. He didn't say, now go and be a blessing. 
He said, and you will be a blessing. Simply, you will be a blessing. That's just how it works. When God blesses you, he starts to use you to bless others. Now, some friends of mine the other day recently told me that they start each day with a prayer. I liked it. That's why I've included it. Lord, help me to be a blessing to someone today. It's a simple prayer. Lord, help me to be a blessing to someone today. You see, this couple that I know, they have been blessed by God. And God is using them to bless others. So let me encourage you with God's promise to you. God says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing.